If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, I'm so thrilled that my dear friend Hannah Estabrook is with us. Um, I have been looking forward to this podcast for a long time. I wanted to ask her to be on because I knew she would have so much to share with us. She's an author. She's a therapist. She's an abolitionist. She's a badass. So um, (laughs) welcome, Hannah. Thanks, Nicole. (laughs) Yep. So um, I wanted to talk first just about the work that you're doing. We'll get into your story and all the great things that... um, you're kind of up to but but how I met you the first time really was through the catch court program Mm -hmm. and we've talked about catch court on this podcast in the past but if you could share a little bit about what that is and and what you're doing that would be awesome so I have the privilege of coordinating this um, program as you said called catch court catch stands for changing actions to change habits and it is a specialized docket in the Franklin County Municipal Court that serves victims of prostitution and human trafficking. Um, So similar programs that people might be familiar with are things like drug courts or mental health courts. And so it's kind of in that vein, um, but it's specifically for women coming out of the prostitution lifestyle. Okay, excellent. And so, you know, Mary and I have been down there many times and um, the women that you serve are actually the women that we love to serve uh, also. And we've done that spa day for them and um, bringing different donations and clothes and different things like that. So it's been fun to sit in on the process and watch these women just open up in the court system, sharing their stories, loving on each other. Um, and I always talk about how we need community for healing. And really, I think Catch Court has been a picture of community for healing and um, knowing that you're not alone. And I think these women have walked these awful roads and lives and um, they need to know that they're not alone and that they can do this together. And I think that you've done such a great job of leading them. And it's cool to see that. And so, you know, as you've been working through Catch Court and you're working with some of the most sexually traumatized people that I've ever met. I mean, how do you care for yourself in that process? I know for me, this has been a long road of learning my own self-care, you know, I started speaking out right out of college, 21 years old. And so I've been taking on other people's stories for years and years and years. And so I've learned over time what my best self-care is. And I'm just kind of wondering what that looks like. Yeah, for you. I want to hear what yours are. <laughs> well, unfortunately, um, Mary's not in here. She's a big part of that because oh, we just are totally. ridiculous. I love to laugh. Yes. Mary loves to eat. <laughs> That's a good combo. So we often are just getting dinner and laughing a lot. Yes. Well, that's so true because I think, I mean, for, certainly for me, community is huge and having, you know, partners in the work of abolition is so helpful. So, right. you know, my coworkers, colleagues are some of my best friends mm-hmm. and we, you know, just love um, spending time together and you know, it's it's just a beautiful thing to be in the midst of a stressful work day and say, I just need to shut the office door for mm. a minute and 
you know, have a moment. That's so <laughs> you know? good. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes just a moment is what totally. we need. I mean, there's been yes. times where I'm just like, you know, go, go, go doing all this great work. But it's like, I just need to breathe for a second. If I could just get in a dark room and shut my eyes like for two minutes or just sit in my car and just yeah. put my phone down, like and just have a breather. Sometimes yes. that makes makes the world totally change. <laughs> I agree so much. I think it's it's figuring out like you know, it's almost like maintaining a car where there are things you have to do, you know, every day or every week or every month and every quarter or all those kinds of things. Mm. Like similarly, I have things I have to do daily, you know, like I have to exercise almost every day and I need to, you know, spend time, like have some quiet time and meditation and prayer, centering prayer every day. Mm. Um, you know, then there are things I need to do on a weekly basis or whatever. And, um, but truly relationships, friendships, you know, good, like soul companions, you know, is a right. big part of my self-care. And also, honestly, and, you know, I try to be open about this is, you know, I have I have a therapist when I need one. Right. You know, I don't I don't see one regularly in this particular season of life. Mm-hmm. But I have somebody that um, will do, you know, some some trauma, secondary trauma work with me when I'm finding that I go home and I can't stop thinking about someone's story I heard right. or I'm so having good. yeah intrusive thoughts, can't sleep or things like that. If ever that happens, I call her up and just mm-hmm. say, hey, I need a session. And she's there. Mm. Um, I meet with a spiritual director on a monthly basis. Right. So I have a lot, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, my friends actually kind of make fun of me, but <laughs> it's it's really I mean, you know, Nicole, the work we, we're doing mm-hmm. is heavy yeah. and um we just can't do it alone. That's right. That's right. And you need to have those people that you know to call on in certain times. Yeah. I think that's really good. Um, and then for me too, you know, the exercise thing for yeah. you, I have that same thing, you know, sometimes I just need to go shoot some baskets, and, yes. you know, or I need to go draw right. or punch something. I mean, it's all different. You need to punch something well, too? Okay. That's actually when I call my therapist. <laughs> But I punched something punchy (laughs) like a pillow. Yes, of course. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's really good. And actually really encouraging too. I think as leaders, especially those who are listening, who are survivor leaders, you've got to know, you know, who you're going to call, what you're going to do. You can't just try to work it out. You know, I know, especially Mary, she's very good at continuing to be busy and Mm -hmm. she can be so, so, so busy where she needs someone to call her out and be like, you need to take a step back. And I think a lot of times we do that because, you know, perfectionism, people pleasing is so common for a lot of survivors and we can work, you know, our fingers Mm -hmm. to the bone in order to push away the feelings. And um, it's good to remember what our self care, you know, coping Mm -hmm. is. So that's great. So I guess, that brings up your story too. Yeah. And so I would love for you if you're willing to share a little bit about your own journey of healing from child sexual abuse. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. I um, have been thinking actually quite a bit about it lately because I've been going back through some of my old journals. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> um, I've been I've been journaling since I was maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. And okay, so yeah. I just have this like wealth of Oh, you know, information about I saw <laughs> so, you had posted on Instagram yes. like this huge oh. display of all your journals. It was yes. the most beautiful picture I've it's, seen. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine just yeah. how, what a treasure that is to hold those. A treasure is one word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? To actually open them right. and read it might yes. be another thing. Yes. Yeah. It's been a little embarrassing <laughs> at the same time. But no, it's it's, oh. um, you know, I was really blessed with mm. I think what what's clear, even as I'm reading my own story mm. in a way, is that I clearly have benefited from just tremendous privilege, mm. you know, that I was raised in a home 
um, with parents and siblings that absolutely loved me and loved me well. Okay. And, um, you know, I had good education and access to all kinds of resources and, um, you know, good friends. I just, I had a lot of resources and a lot of privilege, but I also, um, the first few years of my life grew up in a neighborhood that was rough and, um, you know, experienced sort of several doses of sexual abuse, um, from folks in the neighborhood and folks in my school, um, from about age five to 10. Mm. And so, you know, that was a confusing thing for me because I, um, on the one hand, just I can recognize the gift and the blessings of my life and also, um, you know, in the same breath, just notice, you know, gosh, I, there's a lot of darkness here mm. and there are a lot of negative thoughts, you know, yeah. about myself and my identity and whether or not I was safe in this world and just, yeah, lots of questions I had as a sure. child and early teen. And so I think, you know, my process of healing, this is going to sound so uh, cliche, because I know like, you know, they always say like people who want to be therapists are just trying to work out their own issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm certain that's why I studied psychology. Totally. Right? Yeah. I'm yeah. glad it's not just me. Um, <laughs> so I definitely um, strangely knew that I wanted to be a counselor from about the time I was about 12. Sure. And and truly, I mean, again, just reviewing it recently, like I, I was writing about that wow. from a young age. Yeah. and. Um, one of the first things I noticed about the work I do now was that I was 19 when I first, I think when I first wrote that I wanted to work with prostitutes specifically. Oh, yeah. So I, I guess what I, what I'll say is that my healing journey, um, involved a lot of different things and a lot of different people and, you know, counseling and good mentors and, um, all, all kinds of just wonderful people, um, and good books, you know, I mean, there's definitely, you know, just good resources out there that are so helpful, including Hush, <laughs> you know, but I think truly my journey toward how, how might God use this story, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know you relate to that, but there was always this sense for me of, and I remember hearing in grad school at the time, like oftentimes God wants to use us the most in our areas of greatest brokenness. And um, so I just believed from a young age that this sexual abuse was going to be redeemed wow, in yeah. some way. You always had that sort of in your heart. Yeah. You stored it away. I think so. Yeah. And so I just sort of tried to lean into the things that gave me that opportunity. And, and from the beginning of my counseling career, have chosen to work mm. predominantly with survivors of sexual trauma of some wow. kind. So I, I think that can be really encouraging for people who, you know, a lot of people will come to me or email me and say, I, I want to be used. I, I want my story to be used for something bigger. I want this to be redeemed, like what you're saying. But yes. where do I start? What do I do? And I love how you said you just leaned into those opportunities that came before you. Yeah. So that's exactly what I did. It was yeah. just like, for me, it was like, God, use me if you'd like. Like, I'm willing. I'm scared, but I'm willing. And then you just open your eyes for what he opens up for you. That's right. And you walk through it. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of been your story too. That's really cool. It has. And I think, you know, I try to re remind people and myself as well that if I'm ever out there doing that work in order to heal myself, that it's not probably going to go very mm -hmm. well. And so doing that work out in the world has to come from a place of being sort of grounded and healed and, yeah. you know, not perfectly. And there are, I mean, you know, you've had those moments after speaking, someone comes up and says like, thank you so much for sharing your story. And there is this sense of like, oh man, that is just so sweet, yes, you yes, know? Yeah. And like, I just feel like 
it's like a, it's just, I don't know, it's a win for our team, you know, like that's how it feels. And, and yet I need to know, like, I'm going to be okay if no one comes up to me afterwards. Like you're still doing this because he asked you to, or because it matters. Or if I only ever have like five reviews on Amazon, like it's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Definitely. It just doesn't matter. So yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I know a lot of times when I'm about to take the stage, I'm like, you know, there's only a few people here or whatever. And You know, Mary always says, even if it's for one person, it, it makes a difference. That Mary. You're here for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's always a good reminder for me. And also what you said about, you know, you're not speaking to become healed. Yeah. You know, we we speak, we share our stories, we reach out to that person on the other side of the street simply because it's an outpouring of our own healing yeah. of where we're already at. Yes. And it's God's, you know, pouring that back out on other people through us. Okay. And that kind of reminds me we need to talk about your book so you co-authored a book called beyond desolate yeah and i would love for you to just share a little bit about that totally and hopefully you'll get more than five reviews on amazon (laughs) that's okay i actually don't know how many i have it's better if you don't look i know i've learned that (laughs) the hard way yes (laughs) totally so okay first of all i have to take the opportunity to tell you this funny story because um, the story with that book is that my mentor, who uh, was the chair of the graduate counseling program I was in, uh, she I was nearing the end of my grad school time, and she had been working with trauma survivors, um, with, with sexual abuse survivors, for 20-plus years mm-hmm. at that point. So this was always the book she was going to write. You know, like she was sort of destined to put all of her experience and knowledge into a book form. Mm-hmm. Um, but something led her to to ask me if I wanted to sort of journey alongside and, and write with her. And I was getting ready to graduate grad school and I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. And mm-hmm. so I thought, why not? Um, and so we began this process and it took us about uh, five years, mm-hmm. four years of writing and about a year of editing. And But I remember being at a conference with her and we were talking about the cover like what's going to be on the cover of our book. And I remember Mm -hmm. we were in this conference and we were looking at other books on this topic and we looked at Hush, which we had both read, but we were just admiring like, gosh, this is so like beautiful and edgy. And like, it just sort of, I do love it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do love that color cover. So good. (laughs) So arrogant. (laughs) Design it. Oh, I thought you did. No. Okay. Then you could say that. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> totally. But there is something about red font, I think, that like is somebody said that's supposed to increase book sales. I don't know if that's true. So we also wanted something that was a little bit like edgy. And anyway, we were trying to basically follow your lead, that's Nicole. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. So anyway, yeah, we we journeyed together for, for five years writing this book. And you know, it was painful and writing with someone is, is also tricky because you have kind of different voices. And so I would write something and send it her way. And, you know, she'd edit it a little and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's not my voice that, you know? And so this sort of fight to maintain your own voice, that was hard. um, writing with someone is, is sort of complicated. But what I'll also say though, is that there were so many, um, gosh, just so many sweet conversations in that process. So many, um, so, so much healing work, really, truly, that was that was uh, I was experiencing just from 
consuming like articles and books and mm-hmm. reading people's stories. And I mean, there were definitely months that felt like we would refer to it as the dungeon. Like I'm in the dungeon oh, of yeah. writing. Like oh, yeah. for me, the chat, we have a chapter that's specifically about sexual abuse when it happens in a church or a Christian setting. Mm-hmm. And that season, I mean, I can still to this day just remember physically what it feels like to just be inundated with stories about mm-hmm. abuse by pastors and priests. And I mean, just Mm-hmm. awful yeah um and so I always whenever someone says you know I want to read your book I'm always like okay just promise you'll make it to the second half you know because right. that first half is like slogging through mm-hmm. the darkness mm-hmm. and um you know, I don't know if you share this I always tell people don't read it before bed like mm-hmm. just practice good self-care as you're sort of reading because it's I mean it's heavy and we yeah. did that intentionally because child, I mean child sexual abuse is not <laughs> It's not meant to be an easy no, topic, no. you know? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I We just talked on the last podcast about the woman that we interviewed. She said Hush sat on her shelf for... Like a year, yeah. at least. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that that's seems how right. it is. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like until you're ready and, yeah. and you're, you've got yeah. everything in place for you to begin that process. Yeah. And yeah, I do. I don't really say don't do it before bed. That's a good idea. But... Uh, <laughs> For me, it's like be ready to put it down and put it down for a whole season if you need to. That's great. Yeah. Wow. But um, I I should say I didn't actually talk mention much about the book itself, but I will just say briefly that um, the inspiration for the book is the story of Tamar um, in in the Bible. (laughs) And yes, Tamar is raped by her brother. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, her story in the Bible ends with this set this um statement that tamar lived in her brother's house a desolate life so there's no like happily ever you know after there's no right you know we don't get to see sort of if tamar's story was ever redeemed Mm -hmm. or you know (laughs) if she ever got to tell her story you know like we don't know any of that this Mm -hmm. this is just like the darkest picture of you know and and truly i think you know too from working with survivors that it sometimes feels that way. Like your time talking with a person who's so lifeless, like this yeah. abuse has robbed this person oh. of their life, yeah. even though they're still living, you know? Right. Um, and so we really wanted to, you know, so Tamar's story is weaved throughout the entire book. And truly it's been like one of the greatest joys of my life to get to tell her story. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I suspect she wasn't really able to. Right. Um, wow. And I sort of just find myself being a champion for, you know, her having a voice. That's and amazing. By, te- by telling her story and making sure, because it's not, it's not a story that a lot of people tell. No, it isn't. Um, but certainly worth telling. So. Wow. That makes me feel kind of emotional just thinking like that part of your mission on earth was to give Tamar her voice back yeah. and how many years later it's been. Um for her to be able to have someone else champion her in that way. That's, that's really amazing and inspiring. Yeah. Well, and it's also amazing that you're going to um, give us a couple of books to give away. Yeah. So that's really cool. We'll post some things about that on our social media. And I think Mary will share a little bit more about that too, but thank you so much. That that will be such a blessing to those who receive it. And pleasure. Um, I mean, I really like free things, so I may actually not end up giving it away <laughs> to anyone else because I just you're allowed. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'll keep one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, that's amazing. And now you even have an opportunity to do a TEDx talk. I know. Very awesome. That's coming up. 
Um, I believe Mary and I are actually coming to oh, it. Yes, we oh are. Yes. So we'll be, we'll have like t-shirts made and everything oh in advance. I'm gonna Go Hannah. Oh, <laughs> no, we're so excited for you. Congratulations Thank on that. You. I know it's Thank a you. huge undertaking. I just wondered what are you talking about? <laughs> and I guess what that process has looked yeah. like for you. Sneak peek. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed in uh, doing the work that I do now and working with with specifically sex trafficking survivors is their stories are so, oh, man, so heavy. You know, there's so much trauma, just trauma upon trauma upon trauma in their stories. And so what I've noticed is that when I'm out in in public and I'm sharing about our program and trying to, um, you know, help people see just the beauty of these women uh, that I don't. I don't actually share my story like ever anymore. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that happened in this process of preparing for this TEDx talk was this, my coach said, so, so why do you do this work? <laughs> and I thought, well, that's complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I ended up sharing, I said, well, I'll just on at risk of, you know, too much information, I'll just share a little bit of my story. Mm-hmm. And so I talked about being abused as a child and, um, you know, just my, my process of wanting to work with, with other survivors of, of trauma. And of course people coming out of the prostitution lifestyle have just extensive, extensive sexual trauma in the life and before the life. And so, so my coach says, well, we want you to share that. We want you to share yeah, like yourself. And definitely. I'm thinking in 10 minutes, you want me to <laughs> yeah, take yeah. a minute to talk about myself. Yeah. Um, and so I, it's interesting because I've had to sort of confront this lie, I think, that says my story's not really that important mm. because it's not like as bad. <laughs> right. Oh, OK. Um, I thought that was gone. I thought that mm. lie was gone, but it, it kind of like. Isn't that interesting? So like, interesting. I'm sure you tell everybody else the truth. <laughs> Yeah. But for yourself, sometimes totally. it's harder to really hear that. It's it, It's been super interesting. And so mm-hmm. I've just been trying to sit with the awareness of that that thought is coming back up and trying to speak truth to it. I think in the process, there's been a real sweetness because I remembered that one of my beliefs about working with people in general is you can only go as far with other people as you're willing to go with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if I am not having self-compassion and if I am not you know, believing that my story is worth telling, then am I really going to be able to embody that for and to somebody else? Probably not. Probably not. You know, and so I can both acknowledge the extensive trauma of the women I work with and also own my own story at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's kind of what I'm going to try to do with this talk is, is talk about certainly why I do the work, talk about my like a 19 year old was dreaming of working with prostitutes. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to unpack that a little bit. And I really hope that people will get on board with this notion of restorative justice, because I just think more generally, I'll try to avoid a soapbox here. Um, you know, no, I just think, no way. This is, <laughs> open this it is up. Really open it up. Well, I just, I just think generally that people are getting tired of, you know, this retributive traditional model of justice where people are just incarcerated and released and they don't have resources and they're not rehabilitated and they're not getting what they need and they have unaddressed stuff. Mm. And so restorative justice, you know, says that, 
if crime is crime because it hurts people, then justice should be about healing people. Mm. Um, and so that's, I just got chills just like saying mm. it, I, you know, because it's, it's so good. Real. It's so real. Yeah. It's so real. And, and that's so, where we all yeah. need to be right now. I mean, so many people have a heart for social justice now. Yes. So let's have a real understanding of what that means and Absolutely. how I can be a part of the solution. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I want to talk about this program that, you know, I get to, to coordinate and, and help people get behind, you know, cause it takes a village. It takes a whole community being involved to do the work of restorative justice. It can't just happen in the courthouse. We need stakeholders. We need community members to be, you know, involved. Um, and, and catch catch court has been so blessed. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I mean, just, just so blessed, as you've said earlier, you know, the community that happens within the courtroom Mm -hmm. and that obviously is its greatest gift. And yet also the community outside the courtroom, Mm -hmm. just the multiple organizations, including your own that have gone above and beyond to support us is just amazing. So, um, when I, when I'm in the spotlight in a couple of weeks on that stage, you know, my, my hope is not to, you know, I mean, honestly, of course, I'm just hoping not to, you know, totally bomb and <laughs> don't trip. Do I have right. lipstick on my teeth? You know, right. stuff those, like that. Those too. basic things. <laughs> um, and but I'm not looking to get off the stage and just have impressed people. You know, like if that's all I've done, then that will be a travesty to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that when I come off that stage, people are excited about restorative justice. Mm-hmm. I hope that people look when they see a prostitute on the street, I hope they see them differently. And I hope they understand it's not us, them. Like I could have been there. I could have been on that street corner right. if I had different, you know, if I didn't have the access to the resources I had, Definitely. that could have been me. And so um, just breaking down those barriers mm-hmm. is my hope. Mm-hmm. So. I'm certain that that will happen. <laughs> Hannah, you, you are an embodiment of what that, what oh. restorative justice looks like, I think. And I think people can watch you on that stage. They can hear your story. They can relate to you. You're so relatable. Um, But you're doing the work that anyone wishes they could be doing. Mm. And I think that you make that kind of thing accessible for them. Mm. And so my, I mean, I can only imagine people will just walk away feeling really empowered, you know, to make this world a better place. And isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. I hope so. Well, and just to add to that, it says so much about you as a person um, because I know for, a lot of us, myself included, with what I do for a living sometimes is yeah. that you just want to please everybody. And mm-hmm. like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I, I might take people <laughs> off by what I'm going to, you know, what I'm about mm-hmm. to say. But it shows your heart for really wanting to make a difference in our community. Yeah. And until you get to that place where you're willing to mm-hmm. go there and rip off the Band-Aid, change isn't going to happen. Now I just got chills. So <laughs> I just feel empowered hearing you talk about it because it is scary. These areas where we want to get involved, but we don't know how to even like attempt yes. it. But people like you who are just going after it can bring the rest of us along mm. with you. And there's a lot of power in that. That's really generous. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited. I Mary's back, by the way. I'm back. Sorry. Yay. Life, life yeah. is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My cell phone's blowing up. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. You're I told back. Hannah we're coming to hear her talk. <laughs> yeah. So that's I already really sent her the invite. I was like, yeah. hi, and we're I, going to this. Right. And I started so, tie-dyeing t-shirts for Mary, us. Yes. Yeah. Did you know that you um, actually have to go register and not just like agree to the Facebook event oh, or something? Oh, that's right. 
Dang it. Oh. I just, we've been here before, so I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> yes. We have. Dang it. You got yep. me. Yep. You got we me. We definitely have yoga in the parking lot. I was right. waiting for this so one's good. credit card. So once up. I have that, we're registered. We're there. <laughs> Boom. You didn't well, know about that part. I'll give you the discount code. Again, see free things, it's discounts. Thing. We're all in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See if there's Coffee. a reason it didn't work out yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, back to the real thing. So. Oh boy. Okay, in kind of wrapping up too. Yeah. I mean, we've been here for a while, so mm-hmm. that's. But um, sufficiently sweating. <laughs> <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> now, and these are these are questions kind of off the radar. If you want them to be cut out. Or if you don't want to answer. Okay. So I'm wondering, as I'm listening to your story, um, you know, knowing that you were abused at such a young age and then at 12 years old feeling like I'm going to be a counselor when I'm older, you know, mm-hmm. and then at 19 being really ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Were you able to find your voice early? Did you tell mm. at an early age? Did you tell before you were 12 when you knew you wanted to help others? Because I always wanted I had that same thing in my heart yeah. even before I told my mom even yeah. while I was being abused yeah you know I I was still yeah. going through it Ugh. I'm wondering how it was for you totally. well it's interesting the first time it happened I told my brother who was a like my dearest friend growing up and he went and beat the kid up <laughs> oh boy so, yeah he had your um, back. Wow. Totally. I mean, wow. yeah, in some ways it was like just this beautiful, you know, picture. And but then he got in trouble and it kind of I don't know if it spiraled, but like he definitely started having like behavioral problems in oh. school. And I just remember feeling like this is disrupt. I just I just felt the disruption. Yeah. This thing that happened, which felt like kind of a big deal, but you know, I didn't really know for sure. And then once I shared, it just like became this huge thing and the principal was involved and like just scary. Um, and so I kind of got quiet after mm. that. Um, and so things continued to happen and it really probably wasn't until um, I think high school that I started talking about it again. And I think because I had um one of my poor coping skills you know in that early sort of stage was um like disordered eating stuff and so that's that behavior is what ended up getting me into counseling mm-hmm. and so the abuse story came out and i remember my counselor you know taking down a lot of details and asking me if i wanted to like press charges and i was just like heck no I, I mean it just scared yeah. it was just oh, like yeah because that reminded me of the disruption uh-huh. I had caused already I had caused mm-hmm. yeah you know um, another lie exactly yeah. thank you Nicole um, <laughs> but yeah I mean I just really wanted to like I think what would have been perfect is if I could have just healed on an island you know because I didn't like what I was seeing as far as how it impacted mm-hmm. other people I was just like I can just cut you all out. Me and Jesus will go hang out and mm-hmm. heal and I'll be fine. And oh, it's yeah. Great, you mm-hmm. know, turns out that doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> turns out like he wants to use people. Um, yeah. To bring healing. It's actually and- his vessel. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, huh. I know. Such a thought. So, yeah, I, you know, I think high school and then just started being more yeah, generally open about it um, after that. And, you know, so it was really 
I mean, I think I was like 17 when I finally told like my parents. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, I mean, I think they just didn't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. Because I seemed like a really well-adjusted person by then. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was planning on going to college and study psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, move on with my life. And, um, I just, so I think they were, they were just kind of like, well, thanks for sharing. And, you know, yeah. we love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like we'll they, pay your yeah. college tuition. All <laughs> is well in the world. Yeah. Let's right. keep it moving. Yeah. yeah. I mean, truly, I, they're mm. lovely people. They just did not know right, yeah. how to respond, which you know, many which is, people don't, yeah, right? exactly. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until the, tell, probably one of the most significant times of telling my story and really kickstarting some wonderful healing was actually the first time I told a man who had probably the response I was hoping for from my dad, if I'm honest, because it was actually my grad school professor. And we, uh, when you're in grad school for counseling, let me tell you, it gets real, you know? So Mm, we're in this like small cohort Mm -hmm. and we're inevitably we're sharing pieces of our story. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so part of that story, my sexual abuse story came out and I mean, this just, amazing man um, expressed anger. I mean, he was the first person to express anger ever in my life of telling people like, and again, it had been a handful of people that knew at this point. And I just, it unlocked something for me mm-hmm. like that. God could have been angry that I was allowed to be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, literally well, like went home that day, made like an angry music playlist and was yes. like, it, game on. Like, <laughs> I am going to feel my feelings. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it changed a lot of things. So that, I mean, as you know, that moment of sharing your story with someone and their response, especially if it's your first time sharing oh, your story. Yeah. I mean, it, gosh, that's such a holy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's hard to know. I mean, I don't respond to the same, same, the same way to each person, you know, who tells me the story, but at the very least, you know, just being able to say like, oh my gosh, thank you. And mm-hmm. how are you here? <laughs> like, I'm always just amazed. Yes. Because so often it's been a long time and um, I mean, you know how it is. Getting Multiple through. abusers. Yeah. So many things. So uh-huh. maybe that was a long answer, but oh, that, oh. I love it. Yeah. Go. And the fact that your story kind of came out after you had gone to talk to a counselor about something else, how often yeah. that happens, oh, yeah. you know, the, the out, outer layer, the That's coping right. mechanism that you're trying to fix is... Yeah. There's something deeper. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to get to that, that, yeah. that root at yeah. an early age. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. And how, you know, God would use that mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. in, in the work that you're doing. That's amazing. Another question that I had just in relating to so many women with such deep rooted trauma mm-hmm. and being used sexually, being objects mm-hmm. to other people, you know, I think that the notion of healthy sexuality after sexual abuse is such a complex thing to discuss. (laughs) And it's something a lot of times we don't want to talk about because it's, it's too much. It's too heavy. There's too many terms, too many things to not understand well. Um, So I'm kind of wondering just, and you don't need to get into the complexities of it, but what are some of the key things that you've kind of come to understand as you've worked with these women? You know, there's the effects of sexual abuse are so, I mean, there's so yeah, many, so many. Yeah. and it goes to every end of the, yeah. se- of the spectrum. Yes. Um, so just thinking about for survivors of sexual trauma, maybe even just what do you think they need to hear more when it comes to this issue of their sexuality? That's great. Yeah. I mean, 
this is an area where I feel like I have a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why I asked. I know, but I, <laughs> but it's still a mystery to me. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a mysterious mystery to passion. me. What song? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, what? Oh Paula gosh. Abdul, Debbie Gibson. Gotta be Debbie Gibson because what did you say? I said she's a little she bit older. I'm older. She's a little bit older. I don't even know who that artist is. Oh please, just kidding. I love Debbie Gibson. <laughs> That's she not does. Paula Abdul. It's gotta be. I'll look it up. You guys keep. You, we'll get. We'll come back to this. Free book to the person who. Oh, oh shoot! Okay. Oh shoot! Okay, so um, sexuality. Yeah. Um, so you know this is a, a gross like over you know, generalization, but, but in general, sexual abuse survivors tend to like be at one extreme or the other in terms of their sexuality. So they either, you know, kind of numb their sexuality almost like in an asexual mm-hmm. way, um, or tend to be sort of hypersexualized mm-hmm. and, and can um, go from one to the other at different yeah, absolutely. seasons of their life. Absolutely. And so I, I think probably what both, one thing that's true maybe about both is this, you know, the reality that for someone who's experienced sexual abuse, especially as a child, you know, all those things that happen to us when we're, um, you know, walking in a neighborhood in a dark alley late at night as a woman by yourself, you know, those, the sort of alarm bells of like, oh, this might not be safe. I should, you know, yeah. find safety. Um, like, those are just innate. And then I think sexual abuse sort of hijacks that system to where you're not, you don't trust your own, you don't trust your body. Mm-hmm. You just don't trust your body. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you felt like your body betrayed you, totally. which was a lie, but you're living out of these lies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think one thing is just, I really, I suspect that a big part of the healing process is helping folks reconnect with their bodies Mm. and trust their bodies. That's really good. Um, And so, you know, I think yoga tends to be a thing that helps people do that just because you're in a space where you're very intentionally, you know, thinking about thinking about your body in a different Mm way. Um, And it's just really more of the, of an Eastern um, it's more popular in Eastern mindset of like, you know, body, mind, spirit, you know, and I think sometimes, I think sometimes in the Christian culture, we can sort of cut off body and, and, you know, cut sort of put in this category of flesh, you know, need to like, um, conquer it or overcome it or it's bad. And and, and that's not helpful. (laughs) Um, and so I think just having a more honoring, um, way of talking about the body and reconnecting with the body and trusting the body is huge. For, for sexual trauma survivors, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love the way that you said yeah. that. It it makes it feel like a comfortable thing to talk about and to yeah. understand and something, you know, that we should want to do more of. Absolutely. Rather than hating ourselves and not understanding ourselves and then just not wanting to talk about it. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Well, and I feel like for a lot of survivors, and I know I felt the way that mm-hmm. I have felt so damaged and yucky that I don't want to be in this skin yes. and mm-hmm. with my anxiety and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And just to know that you can get to a place where you're comfortable mm-hmm. just being. And I remember yes. my counselor said that mm-hmm. to me one time, you don't know how to be. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, because I don't I don't want to be in this. Like, yeah. I want to drink to numb and I want to like be addicted to this and that and whatever, because I just want to quiet, you know, what my head is telling me. Um, but even as I've gotten into yoga a little bit, even though I hear Christians saying like, oh, that's worshiping this or that. I'm like, 
you know what? I'm stretching, I'm breathing, I'm connecting with myself, and that's it. That's yeah. how I view it. So yeah. you can do your own little thing with what you think it is, but that is so <laughs> important for abuse survivors. Oh, um, so, but I love the way you describe it because that even even gives me confirmation that yeah, it is okay that we, yeah. you know, that we're in that place of trusting our bodies again. Mm-hmm. Yes, one hundred percent. Well, I just appreciate your vulnerability and transparency and just your storytelling is wonderful, but also just your passion and brilliance. I <laughs> really respect you, Hannah. I, I truly do. And I I am so excited just to continue to do life with She's you. Still sweating. She's okay. still sweating. She's still sweating. <laughs> All right. You clearly cannot take praise. So I'll work on that. Can Maybe. we clap for you when you're done with your TEDx talk? Or now. Sure. Slow clap. Slow clap. Yes. Okay. Love it. Wow. Love you guys. Oh, I love fun. this. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Not really. I'm good. That's good. That was awesome. I'm good. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. With you, ladies. Don't forget to subscribe because our next podcast is going to be amazing. We'll be talking with Boz Chavijan, a law professor, former child abuse prosecutor, and the executive director of Grace, an organization that equips faith communities to correctly respond to sexual abuse disclosures and to better protect children. Boz is the grandson of Billy Graham with a huge heart for survivors of sexual abuse and a strong voice of justice for child predators, especially in the church. You don't want to miss our conversation with him.